We have the main text for today's sermon, and this will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I invite our sister Sophia to come read this for us. Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, do, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'll pass the time now to Pastor Andrew. Good afternoon, everyone. So it's a privilege to gather, even more so on a rainy day, that we uh, remind each other that we are uh, 
warm human beings that we can keep each other warm physically but also spiritually i hope you have your bible with you if not you can grab one next to your chair and today's passage is on page 1147 so it'd be good if you keep that open why don't we ask god to help us In the words of the song that we sang just now on the day of judgment, we pray this prayer. Under earth and heaven's blackened sky, gracious Saviour, you were lifted high, bearing all the curse that my sin deserved as you bled upon that tree. God the judge hangs cursed for me. Father, as we come to today's passage, we come as sinners forgiven, that we receive pardoning grace from you, that we see you not just our judge, but our saviour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, there's this romantic, uh, romantic comedy in 2004, which half of you were not born yet. It's called 51st Dates. Now, the story revolves around a man named Henry Roth. He fell in love with this beautiful woman called Lucy Whitmore. She was a woman with a unique form of amnesia. So Lucy would wake up every morning and she has absolutely no memory of what happened the previous day or what did Henry do for her. So looking at the title, you know that he does this every day trying to remind her of a condition and their love story. Now it was a romantic comedy, so Lucy's amnesia was portrayed with plenty of humor, laughter, some tears. But the reality is amnesia is not funny at all because a person may very well forget his own identity, forgetting his loved one or her loved ones, and even forgetting what just happened a moment ago. There was a former British musicologist by the name Cliff Wearing. He had a really um, accomplished career for many, many years until 1985, where he was struck with a very serious amnesia. He couldn't remember what just happened, and most morning when he wake up, he believed that he had just woken up from a comatose, and uh, his children struggled to visit him because it was so painful to visit his dad, their dad, and he doesn't remember them or that he, they ever visited him. So much so, they struggled to even come and visit him. There was a 2005 documentary about him titled The Man with the Seven Second Memory. Uh, it was a very... A sobering and um, sad documentary if you ever want to watch it, but it's worth watching. Amnesia bears a very, very heavy cost. And so when we come to 1 Corinthians 6, it is a, it's a very heavy passage because we are confronted with the Corinthian Christians who were exhibiting spiritual amnesia. They were forgetting their identity in Christ, the gospel grace they received from God, and they were reverting very quickly back to their old behavior prior to become Christians. 
So the chapter begins with the Apostle Paul. He was writing this letter. He was shocked. He was angry after he heard what happened. And he was writing to them. And verse 1, if you have your Bible open, I hope you have, this is what he says. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? And if you look down verse 5, he says, I say this to shame you. It's kind of a very harsh letter from Apostle Paul. Uh, and six times, if you just follow your fingers down your Bible with me, six times he addressed the Corinthian church in exasperation with this rhetorical question that's not meant to be answered. It's saying, do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? As if they have really forgotten their identity. Indeed, they were living as if they were not Christians. And, uh, and Paul was exasperated. So look at your Bible with me. Follow it through. This is what it says. Verse 2, it says, Do you not know that the lost people will judge the world? Verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? Verse 9, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Verse 17, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Catch the drift in that letter. Now, unlike physical amnesia, which is a medical condition, spiritual amnesia is really a sinful condition of the heart because it is a choosing to forget, a choosing to not remember. And as a result of them forgetting their identity in Christ, there were serious um, issues that were developing in this Corinthian church, which is what we are going to look at today. Three things that we'll look at. The first is this, in chapter 6, that they start to have internal disputes within the church and they bring it externally to unbelievers to be the judge of Christians. The second is that as this spiritual amnesia flows on, wickedness that will cast out were creeping back into a transformed church. And finally, there is this sexual immorality because it's being welcomed. It's starting to rob the Christians and rob God's spirit. So these are the things that were happening um, in this chapter. So follow me as we look at these three things uh, as Paul calls them to remember that you belong to the Lord. So come back to me, verse 1, as I read it for us. Verse 1, he says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? So here is that shocking news. Paul heard this news. He was shocked because the church that he started in Corinth, was meant to be that shining light to the whole city about Jesus. It, it is making news, but it's making news in a bad way. It's become the latest gossip in Corinth because apparently some Christians, they had some argument and grievances in church uh, with each other. Instead of resolving it in the church, they, they, they brought the dispute publicly to unbelievers to be their judge. And so the Christians, they were suing each other in public court. They were calling each other cheats and liars. Perhaps if they behave like the Corinthian culture, 
if, if you're a kind of an upper-class Christian, you will have more legal privilege compared to lower status, and you go on to this Corinthian style of lawsuit. But even if the parties, they were of equal standing, imagine the lawsuit easily became an entertainment for outsiders as they wake up in the morning and say, the latest news about that church who sue each other. Now, what made Paul so angry um, is, is this, and he has two arguments against them. So look at these two arguments that he wants to um, bring before them. The first is found in verses 2 and 3, and you hear his exasperation. He says, Do you not know that the lost people will judge the world? Verse 3, Do you not know we will judge angels? Where did this come from? Probably Paul has taught these things to them while he was with them and teaching them about the day of judgment and what's going to come. Now, Paul reminded them that believers will reign and will judge with the Lord Jesus. But elsewhere, we hear the Lord himself spoke that the apostles will have authority to judge in, in Luke 22. Or Apostle John who has spoken that saints have authority to judge in Revelation 20. Paul probably will have told them all this. And Jude 6, we hear this. And it seems that Paul has also told them this that we are told in Jude 6 that angels who abandon their position, they were condemned and waiting for the great day of judgment. Now Paul speaks to them as if they knew all this, and he says, don't you know you judge the unbelieving world? Don't you know you will judge the angels? If so, why are you so inadequate to judge, verse 2, trivial cases? Instead, God's people, they are asking the ungodly, verse 4, whose very way of life opposes the church to be the judge of God's people. Now that's his first argument. The second argument really is this. He says, the very fact that you have a lawsuit among you means that you have com been completely defeated already. It means, let's say, if both of you have an argument and you bring, bring this to, to unbelievers, both the person who was accused and the accuser, both of you already lost everything. In fact, the church has lost it because they who are supposed to have a testimony now becomes a laughing sock. Now imagine the occasional, um, it's not uncommon, news that you, when you read newspaper, you hear of siblings going on to the law case, suing brothers and sisters for inheritance because the parents just died and they're not happy with it. And as this news goes on, one sibling will call the other a liar, the other will be shaming the brother or sister being greedy. You know, what seems like a private matter now become the country's entertainment. That people are saying, ah, oh, look, this is what is happening. And if the family tries to say, we're actually a loving family, who's going to believe it? Now, how should the believers respond? Now, Paul reminded them of their identity and the gospel, calling them, verse 2, the lost people. And Paul challenged the church. Is there no one else wise enough to handle this case? Wouldn't you all very wise when you were judging your leaders? Who is better? Now, now, can't any of you judge and mediate for your brothers and sisters? Now, the Paul actually expects the church to be competent enough to handle these disputes and grievances. For the redeemed people, a man to live with a different perspective from the rest of the world. In fact, Paul said in verse 7b, why not rather be wronged, if you translate it, 
directly is actually saying, why not rather be treated unjustly? Why not rather be cheated? That's a very strange way for your church leader to say, why not be cheated? Why not be, be wronged? What is Paul really saying? I think the heart of the matter is this. Paul is really reminding the believers of the very gospel they received because the Lord Jesus is the very one who was unjustly suffering and died for us. It's a reminder, why not be like your Lord? You know, imagine Isaiah 52 would come to mind, but Paul will remind them again the gospel later right at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. This is what he says uh, to them. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Remember this, Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. Now, for those who are younger, you may not feel that you have much grievances, but those who are older, you may have seen grievances in churches before. And Paul is not calling believers to be naive, that it's easy. He's saying that the gospel grace is what we have received and to remember that we have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus. To remember the church is built by the blood of Jesus and we are called to live with the gospel and eternal perspective in mind. I want to bring to mind this one thing while Paul is calling them uh, to, to media insight is that Paul must not be mistaken to say that Christians must sweep everything under the carpet, even if it's legal or criminal. That's not what Paul is saying. He was very clear in this point in Romans 13. He says, rulers were given authority to act as God's servant. You should be afraid because they are meant to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. So it is necessary as a church that we do need to report legal offenses to the state's law and submit to the authority as a matter of conscience. But here Paul is not talking about criminal stuff. He's talking about two Christians who have grievances and they are asking unbelievers to be their judge. Now we remember as we look at this, uh, Paul is really calling them to remember Christ. So here's the question. Maybe your answer is no, maybe your answer is yes. Do any of us have quarrels or disputes or grievances towards another? that we are so unhappy that we want to bring it to someone outside to be our judge. If there are, Paul's point is, why don't you bring it to the church, to someone who can mediate for you? Now, to be sure, Paul never claims that it's easy to resolve or mediate grievances. I don't know if anyone has been grieved before here. But if you have been grieved before, whether it's in church or not, you know that uh, it's not easy because hurts are often very deep. Hurts are often very deep because we are human. Losses can be very tangible. Depends on what you lose. Genuine forgiveness are very difficult publicly. And if you ever want to forgive, forgiveness, if you're forgiven before you know, forgiveness is very, very costly because you have to bear the cost. Paul is not naive. He's never claimed that mediation, resolving things are easy. But what he's saying that it is possible when we receive the gospel, that 
Jesus has for us, because he died for us, because eternity is promised. This side of the grave is not all that we have. There is a lot more after that that we need to look at. And the church is the body of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is resolution is possible with the gospel. But when the church has spiritual amnesia, it doesn't work. Because the church gets into a chaos. Not only were believers in Corinth seeking compensation in public uh, arenas, they were actually practicing wickedness to get their way. And this is what Paul drives right in in the next section, that the wickedness they had renounced, they're starting to creep back into the church because of spiritual amnesia. Look at verse 8 with me in your Bible. Paul says this, verse 7 onwards, Why not be wrong? Why not, be cheat? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, Paul moves on. The first issue was the dispute between believers. He moves deeper now to actually what is the actual trouble that's brewing up in the church that has spiritual amnesia. And he says in verses 9 to 10, look at verses 9 to 10 as he warns that wickedness is incompatible with people belonging to the kingdom of God. Now, this is serious. He repeated twice. This is not compatible and will not belong to the kingdom of God. He said it twice. And as he lists this, um, long list of 10 uh, practices. Uh, they are not exhaustive, but they are perhaps relevant to the Corinthian church. He has others, including in Galatians 5, other lists where he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here, this 10, it seems to be pointing to the Corinthians. Now, beside the wickedness of deceiving and wronging brothers and sisters, there's these 10 things that are hard to, hard to deal with, but I'll invite you to read it with me as I read it for us. Look at verse 9, verse 10 with me. Paul wrote this. He said, Neither the sexually immoral, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. It is a scholar by the name Kenneth Bailey. He pointed out that the 10 vices listed here, five alluded to sexual issues surrounding chapter 5 and 6 that we saw last week and it will be this week. Well, the other five will relate to issues of greed, grasping, eating, getting drunk, and we'll see that um, more in chapter 11. So as you look at these 10 um, things that were pointed out, look at it with me, the first five in verse 9. It alludes to sexual vices including idolatry. Here's the thing about idolatry. When we reject worshipping God and we put our human autonomy above everything, the only other thing we can worship is ourselves. And the moment we worship ourselves, the floodgate gets open to all kinds of immoral things that we want to do because the autonomy of human rules rather than the worship of God. And so you see the rest flowing out. So it is not surprising 2,000 years back in Corinth that the shrines would have prostitution. And it's not surprising in our world where our world have all forms of sexual vices that are offered anywhere available. It could be physical, it could be virtual, it could be paid, it could be consensual. 
Basically, idolatry, when we remove God, opens up all kinds of philosophy that you, you want, morality that you want, even theology you want to write, as long as it feeds us. So idolatry really uh, shoots out all kinds of uh, vices and sin. Now, I want to explain a few things just to help us understand what they are. When he says sexual immorality, it comes from this word, panea, which can also be translated as fornication, or where we come from, pornography. It refers to any sexual activities that a person has that is not within marriage. It includes premarital sex, whether it's consensual or not. Um, it's not your... Uh, and with anyone that's not your spouse, include paid sex, include the use of pornography. Uh, sexual immorality can happen in person or virtual. Meanwhile, adultery is something we are familiar. It's word itself. It refers to um, sex between a married person and someone who is not the spouse. Now, the fourth and fifth are actually terms that combine in that one phrase, no man who has sex with men. Um, if, if you have your Bible with a footnote, you can see it tries to explain to you in Greek that these two Greek words, they refer to the, the passive participant and the active participant in the homosexual act. So that brings the fourth and fifth. Now, I just want to be clear as I explain this, that um, this does not refer to someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction or unwanted attraction. It does not refer to people struggling with it, but they don't want it, but they struggle with it. What we do as a church, we need to acknowledge that it is difficult when someone struggles with unwanted attraction or same-sex attraction. It is difficult, and as a church family, we should be the place where we could support, we could pray with, we can give accountability and just walk and show that love is still there. This is where the church should be. So if that is something that we struggle with, I hope that church is a place that you can find support and not a place that you feel rejected. So the attraction itself is not what Paul is bringing, but he's saying that the vices or the sin is when there is an uninhibited expression and living out of the homosexual activities as a lifestyle that they embrace. To this, Paul um, refers that, as with all the other sins, these are expression of idolatry, the worshipping of self and sex instead of God. So those are the five that are difficult. The next five are listed in verse 10. They allude to other wickedness. Look at it, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Perhaps some of these disputes that they earlier have were motivated by this, the addiction to have more money, addiction for more pleasure, the addiction for more power. Now, as Paul said elsewhere in his letter to Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people who are eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So this could well have been what is happening in the church in Corinth. Now, I want to draw the whole line of this ten. Uh, wrongdoings that's being mentioned, what is common in all of them, Paul says, is the seriousness and the consequences when they persist in them. Because Paul says in verse 9 and 10, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, by the time I finish saying this, those of us who are listening, 
some of us will just hear it and it goes off. Others will be like some of the Corinthians who may feel overwhelmed. You may feel like, is that me? Is, am I the one? And some feel hopeless. Some are feeling scared. But I want to bring this up that Paul's point actually doesn't end at 10, but ends at verse 11, because he wants to bring this point that God's grace is never far away from God's justice. Verse 11 drives home Paul's main purpose of this passage. And the main purpose is a message of hope, a call for repentance and a reminder, because there's spiritual amnesia, a reminder that we belong to the Lord himself. Look at verse 11 as I read it for us. It says, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, here is the crux of the gospel that the grace and the justice of God meets head on at the cross of Christ that his justice and his grace were both displayed in Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 11. That by the gospel of the Lord Jesus, we are washed from all of sin's defilement and guilt and accusation. We are sanctified by God's Holy Spirit. And now we're being set apart from the devil and the world to be a body of Christ. And we are justified, we're forgiven, and we are made right before God. And God, when he sees us, accepts us as righteous, the way that he would accept Christ, his son. And Paul says, this is who we are now. We are saved in Christ for his kingdom. So the reason Christians, when we are called to reject wrongdoings, are not just to work harder, but to remember that we are saved for the God's kingdom. And so in the final passage from verses 12 to 20, Paul wants to make one more appeal. And the appeal is to flee from sexual immorality because sexual immorality robs you and me as well as God's spirit. So look at it with me in verse 12 to 20. Now I, I search out some commentaries and the commentary says this, that Corinne, the place, is it, it, kind of a mega city. Corinne was white known back in his days to be very unrestrained in sexual indulgence. So anything you want, sexually related, Corinne is the place to go. Okay? And the Christians are using the, the, the term Christian freedom to access sexual immorality. So in this last section, Paul really wants to dig in and correct two things. The first is this, that he wants to correct their theology on understanding of what is freedom. And second is to remind them the realities that their bodies are the temples of God. Now, I want to just catch your, um, borrow your wisdom a little bit and say, what are some of the slogans in the modern day that you remember off the hand? Anyone can remember any slogans that comes to you? Any slogans? Just do it. Okay, any, anything? Exams, huh? just do it. Uh, finger licking good. Lunch is almost coming. What else? What, what comes to your mind? Slogans. It's a free world. Okay, ladies, because you're worth it. Right? All things different. <laughs> okay? Now we're all thinking the same by thinking different, so we <laughs> all have the same phone. 
Okay, so, so Logan's, uh, slogans are powerful because when, when the slogan rings, uh, well, the, the, the footsteps and the action springs up, right? I tell you finger licking good enough, later you're going to go KFC, right? So for the Corinthians, they have their own slogans to get what they want. This is what their slogan says. The first slogan is this, everything is permissible for me. So they wear this all access pass and they can do anything. Okay, uh, and when this slogan comes in, um, where, in fact, where it comes in, we're not sure, but perhaps they, they could have twisted Paul's words. Paul might have said uh, when he was there with great earnestly that you, you are no longer under the law, but you're under Christ. You are free and say, free, we are free Christians. So we have all access. We can do anything we want. So that, that is their slogan. And because this slogan rings, the action springs. And some Corinthian Christians are using this slogan to argue their freedom to have sex with whoever they want. Perhaps this was the very slogan that the man in chapter 5 used when he slept with his father's wife. Got freedom. And the church said, right, he's got freedom. So that could have well been the case. And to support their sexual appetite, they added one more slogan. And this is the slogan. Catch it, right? He says, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. Okay? This is another slogan that rings very well. How it goes is this. It's almost lunchtime, right? Food for the stomach. Oh, it goes well. Sexual desires and the body, well, it goes well. And you know what? Anyway, God's going to destroy this body. So what we do is temporal doesn't really hold very much weight. It's just temporary. It'll, it'll go off. Do you catch the slogans that when, when you sing it long enough and idolatry comes in, you forget what you're meant to do and say, yeah, it works. And Paul says, no. Paul says, it doesn't work this way. To this, Paul corrected them. He says this, freedom is no longer freedom if freedom controls us. In verse 12, not everything is beneficial and I will not be mastered by anything. You just, just ask anyone who have a, a substance or a behavioral addiction. It becomes very clear that freedom is not found in the substance of alcohol or drugs or the behavior of OCD or gambling or pornography or uncontrolled gaming. But freedom is found in the ability to say, I don't want it. When you're addicted, you realize I don't want it, it's the freedom. Not having it, it's the freedom. And Paul says, not everything is beneficial and I must not be mastered by anything. And regarding the argument that the body is for sexual freedom, Paul says, hey, no. Not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In fact, the Lord himself is for the bodies. Now, our bodies do not just get destroyed. Rather, just as God by his power raised Jesus from the dead, he too will raise us physically from the dead. So the body has value. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, dear friends, Paul is saying this, our bodies are not irrelevant to be used and disposed. Rather, our bodies are precious and created for God with a purpose to worship him and to be united with the Lord Jesus himself. Otherwise, why would the Lord have a body as well? It's so that 
in a mysterious way that we are united with him. Even Christ did not simply resurrect merely in the spirit, which is what the Jehovah Witness wrongly claim. They claim Jesus resurrected in spirit, and then they use this word called spirit body and stuff. But no, Paul says he resurrected in body, and so shall we. The deeds we do with our bodies matter. So the Corinthian Christians, uh, they were wrong when they practiced sexual immorality under the slogan of freedom. Or when they claim the body is merely temporal and there are no actions that are of substantial consequence. Because according to this slogan, they could just do anything they want. They could go to the temple prostitutes. And then Paul, but Paul says, hey, verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And Paul, in fact, emphasized his point, quoting Genesis 2, for the two will become one flesh. So here's Paul as he looks at his church, he says, has spiritual amnesia really gotten to you? Have you really forgotten who you are? Verse 17, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So here's the thing, if you're a married man, behave like a married man. If you're a student, behave like a student. If you're of this soccer team, wear the right jersey for your soccer match. If you're a Christian united with the Lord, don't tear yourself and be united with another. So Paul's call to action for them is really verse 18. Look at verse 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Whoever sins sexually sins against themselves and against God's Holy Spirit. Now there is this famous account in Genesis 39, you will know it, uh, is the account of Potiphar's wife trying to seduce Joseph. Joseph fled from her presence and before leaving he said this, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So here's the point that Paul has, knowing what happened for Joseph. He's saying this, do not, do not stand and reason with sexual immorality. Corinthians, don't go outside the temple shrine where the prostitutes are waving at you and talk about your theology, should I go in or not? He says, just run. Just run. You're not that strong. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't engage it and have that conversation because you already know what it's going to say. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So let's get really practical for us on this one. Friends, do we sometimes find ourselves tempted? Tempted by internet? Tempted by your certain Netflix shows that becomes more and more, I don't know, um, inappropriate? Are you tempted by movies? Are you tempted by pornography? Paul's point is, flee from it. It could mean use your device in public area. It could use means using internet filters or even accountably software, but don't engage it, just flee from it. If you're a worker and we find, perhaps we're a hard day at home, we find a colleague at work very attractive, but one of us are married, Paul says, Leave from it. Don't stay in the office late, have that conversation. Don't have that late night drinks after office hour just to, you know, just to debrief and share. Don't flirt. Just leave from it. We're not that strong. Leave from it. 
Are, are we single? Are we students? You know, you're starting to date. Sometimes it can be tempting, holding hands and be careful. Just flee from situation that you might feel tempted. If you're going on a holiday with someone who is not yet your spouse, don't go alone and you know, save money and share, share a tent, share something. Don't just, just flee from it. Verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a very hefty price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Dear friends, as we close, here's the thing about spiritual amnesia. It is not a new condition. It's not a physical or medical condition. It is a heart condition. It's a sin condition because it is a choosing to forget. Choosing to forget God. And because of that, church history or the Bible has shown us in history of Israel that when spiritual amnesia comes, the consequences are always very costly. You know, when Israel grumbled against God soon after he rescued them from Egypt, the whole generation died without entering the promised land. And Paul says, I do not want you to end up this way. So he repeated the phrase, do you not know, 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 again and again. So as we close this time, as we listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 to Corinth, let me just draw the whole line here right now for us, is that his whole point at the end, his solution for the church of Corinth is not to give them a to-do list that you work harder and you strive harder because they're going to not make it. Paul's solution is really to remember Remember the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the kingdom is waiting for us right now. Remember that God's spirit is already living in us. So let us live out actually who we are factually. Let us live out actually who we are factually. And may the Holy Spirit who lives in us strengthen us and help us to remember that really we belong to the Lord. So let us live it out by His Spirit, and by His strength. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we are not so strong as we think we are, but we are not so helpless as the world tells us, because your Holy Spirit is with us, and Christ did die for us. So, Father, we pray as we remember from 1 Corinthians 6, the message Paul has for his church, that God, you also speak to us. Help us not to have spiritual amnesia and help us to remember Christ and the gospel and the salvation that we received. Help us to remember there is a kingdom waiting for us and the kingdom is not here in this world. Help us to remember that he who lives in us will bring us to completion till we see Christ or Christ returns to claim us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.